we're talking about God's greatest gift this morning. That's what we're going to be talking about. We've been in the series on gratitude, and uh, as we think about this, we realize, hey, the better the gift, the more thankful we should be. Isn't that correct? By Christmas, we were given, ultimately, the greatest gift of all. We really were. Uh, but first, what we're going to do is we're going to read from the Christmas story, and we're going to see uh, some of the presents that were, were given to Jesus. And so already this morning, we've heard from uh, Matthew chapter uh, 1, and now we're going to be looking at uh, some stuff from Matthew chapter 2. So I invite you to take a copy of Scripture, and if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, you can find Matthew chapter 2 on page 807, and we're going to be reading about the, uh, the Magi, the three wise men that follow the star, that uh, journey to uh, see uh, Jesus and to give him these gifts. And it's been said, I think, correctly, it's wise men going on a journey, following a star. This could be considered the first Star Trek, okay? (laughs) So I think we'll go with that. And our first point as we look at this, we're going to see in this part of the story that these wise men, that they give Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which I'll say, if you are still looking this week for last-minute Christmas gifts for your kids... Uh, this may or may not help you too much. You know, I guess if you threw a big bag of gold at them, they, they might be okay with it. They realize they can trade it in for an Xbox. Um, otherwise, they'll be thinking, I can't play video games on this. But if you just give them a bunch of myrrh, I think they're just going to be really confused. <laughs> like, why? what is this? It's some uh, aromatic gummy resin? Uh, you know, what, are you, what are you telling me about how bad my bedroom stinks, mom and dad? I don't know. But back in the day, this was stuff that this was given to royalty. This was expensive Uh, things that were given. So let's read this uh, passage in Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We're going to look at this section here with the uh, the wise men. We're going to focus on the... Uh, the different gifts that are given for a little bit and think about, um, you know, which is, the, which is the greatest gift here that is, uh, that is God's greatest gift. 
It talks about this passage that uh, when Jesus was born in Judea, it was the days of, of Herod. And Herod was the, the king over this area and within the Roman Empire. And we know that Herod the Great actually ruled from 37 to 4 uh, B.C. So he died in 4 B.C., uh, which is ironic because then it means that actually Jesus was born at least four years B.C., which B.C. means before Christ. So Jesus was born four years before Christ. But that's because they figured out that dating system uh, you know, centuries later, and they did their best to, to get it right, but um, as far as what they put, you know, year number one. Uh, but if we go by Scripture here, uh, when Herod was alive, um, yeah, Jesus actually was born a little bit uh, before uh, what would have been AD 1. So we see Herod the Great, and you get a little bit of a glimpse into this guy's character here uh, and what he's like when he's uh, searching for, for this king that's born that's said to be the king of the Jews. And he's thinking, well, you know, I'm the, I'm the king of the Jews, so I don't know how I feel about this. A few things as we think about this story, too. We talk about the, the, the three uh, wise men. We think about it that way. And we uh, sometimes even think of you know, them as being three kings, because we sing the song, you know, we three kings. But if you look at the actual text from Scripture, uh, it's actually, we see, first of all, they're not mentioned as being kings. They're mentioned as being wise men or magi. Uh, they're from, from the east and maybe uh, Persia, traveling over from there, and they were maybe into astrology or astronomy, watching the stars and uh, these type of things. But it doesn't actually say that they were, were kings. And it actually doesn't even say that there were three of them. Uh, we uh, kind of assume that there's three of them because they gave, uh, it mentions three different gifts, uh, but it doesn't in the text actually say that there were three of them. Maybe there were, maybe there weren't. We just know that there were three gifts. And honestly, I think sometimes we uh, think that it's uh, three of them because, well, that's our nativity scenes. You know, we have three little figurines of the three wise men, and so it's, we think there's three. And there could be, and you can keep your nativity scene that way, but uh, the truth is we don't really know how many of them there were. But if that rocks your boat, this next part might really rock your boat, you know, and mess up your nativity scene, uh, because uh, it's very likely that they didn't even arrive uh, during that time where Jesus was uh, just a newborn in the manger. And so if we read the text and we look at this, there's some clues as far as, you know, when they came. This is after Jesus uh, was born, and they come to the, the house that they're in. They're still in, in Bethlehem, uh, but it could be even up to uh, two years later uh, when they show up. And it might have taken them a while to see this when they you know, see the, the star arise that lets them know that, oh, it looks like the, the Messiah has been born, and how long it would take to travel there. Um, but also when they arrive, it says in verse 7 that Herod learned about when the star had appeared. He inquired, he thought, that, you know, there was some star that told him that the, this king of the Jews has been born. When exactly did this happen? And then if you keep reading, and it's kind of a, a depressing bummer section of this, uh, in verses 13 through 18, we see that Herod, I mean, he's jealous, okay? When he's inquiring and saying, yeah, let me know where he is. I want to go worship him. Okay, uh, to him, uh, worshiping means I want to knock off this uh, uh, threat to my throne. And so he's uh, trying to find out where he is so he can go and get rid of this baby Jesus, uh, this um, 
person that people are thinking that is the king instead of him. And when we read in this, uh, we see tragically that Herod in verse uh, 16 later on, he orders the, the execution of all of the uh, baby boys in Jerusalem to and under. Now, if he's going by when the star appeared and we learned about that, uh, this means that this may have happened up to maybe like two years you know, after Jesus was actually born. So you've got to space out your nativity set a little bit. Okay? But it's okay. You can still, it's, it's all, uh, nativity set's fine. You can keep it that way. Uh, but um, as far as how it actually uh, played out, uh, they may have came a little bit later on. It says a few different times, verse 2, verse 7, uh, 9 through 10, that they were alerted by this star, this Christmas star that we think about. And there's a lot of you know, speculation, what was this? And this could take a whole other you know, message to think about. There's different theories. I would hold any theory kind of loosely on this. Some have suggested that there's some kind of natural explanation uh, that there may have been, uh, you know, two stars, you know, or two of the planets that were conjoined and it, it shined extra brightly um, around this time period. Uh, some have suggested that in, around the time period there was a supernova, which would have appeared very, very bright in the sky. Uh, but there could be other explanations as well that are more, more supernatural, you know, something that just can't be explained by, um, you know, astronomy and, you know, natural occurrences that this could be, um, you know, something that God made to appear. Uh, sometimes in the Old Testament, there was what was called the Shekinah glory that would appear in the temple, and it was this glowing, just kind of a manifestation of God's glory. Could this have been the case? Could it have been, um, you know, just something that kind of looked like a star in, in the sky uh, that they followed, but it wasn't technically a, an actual star, you know, way out there in, uh, in, in distant in outer space? Uh, could it have been an angel, uh, possibly, that uh, appeared this way? I mean, we really don't know. There's a lot of different options. But I think when you look at the text closely, I lean towards it being something supernatural. Because it looks like what happened is that it, uh, it appeared and let them know that the Messiah has come, this long-awaited Messiah that they've been waiting for. And even though the wise men, they're from, uh, from the east and... Uh, they, were, they were not Jewish. They had some knowledge of the Jewish scriptures. They knew that he would be born in Bethlehem, and they were kind of waiting for this. Um, but it shows this, the star appears, but then it seems like it, uh, it, it does, they don't follow it the whole way there. That It seems like it kind of disappears, uh, but then later on, when they get to uh, Bethlehem, and then it says, uh, verse 9, Again, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And so the star, if it hadn't been around, it reappears at this point, or whatever it was that looked like a star, and they're able to follow it, and it rests above you know, the, uh, the place where, where Jesus was at this time, the home where he was at. And so this really wouldn't work if it was an actual star. So I can't say for sure, but I lean towards it being some kind of supernatural manifestation that God put forward to, to lead them there and point them to, to Christ. We see that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And this is according to Old Testament prophecy, Micah 5.2. And this is a prophecy that was given around 735 B.C., 
So over 700 years before Jesus came, this is one of many prophecies in Scripture that the Messiah would be coming, that God would send this one that would be this deliverer, that would be this Savior, that ever since the beginning and really right after sin entered the world in Genesis, uh, that God had been telling them that there would be this Savior that he was going to send, this Messiah. And they spent the whole Testament time looking forward to this one. When is he going to be here? When is he going to come? And they knew that he would be born in, in Bethlehem, this small town. It was the home of, of David. He would be in the line of King David because he would be king. He would be ruler, and he would fulfill all the prophecies of the one from the, the reign of King David that would, would rule and rule forever. Also notice in verse 11, it says, The wise men worshipped Jesus. They came and they saw this baby, and they worshipped him. And there are a lot of cute babies and we see cute babies, it's really nice to, to see them and uh, take a look. Uh, but really, we don't, you know, worship them. Uh, we may give, you know, gifts to the parents. Uh, we may do that, but we're not, you know, bowing down and worshiping uh, children. So that should give us some kind of idea that uh, there is something going on here. There are some parents that kind of seem to worship their children, but uh, that's a whole other message. But, I mean, for literally worshiping, you know, this is something, is that right to do? Should you be worshiping a person? Should you be worshiping, you know, a baby? And I looked for this word that uh, is translated as worshiped, and one of the other places it appears is in the book of Revelation. Right at the end, in Revelation 22, 8 through 9, it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. So you have an angel here, this powerful being, and John uh, sees him and he gets down to worship this angel. But then it goes on and says, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep, walk, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. God is the one to be worshipped. He is the only one to be worshipped. So let me say, if you're looking at this passage and you're seeing these wise men come, and this seems to be a positive thing that they're doing, and they worship this, uh, this infant, and we start, start to connect the dots here. What is this telling you about the identity of this, this baby that uh, had been born, that was in this manger uh, originally, and, and now is this, this young child? They're worshiping him when you're supposed to worship in God alone. And then the wise men, they give three costly gifts. And uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to spend some time talking about these a little bit uh, because throughout the centuries, actually many Christians have seen these pointing to different truths about Jesus. It's one of those things we can't say with absolute certainty and Matthew himself in the passage doesn't draw this out. He doesn't explain that they gave him gold because of this. They gave him frankincense because of this. But it may be the case. And I'm not saying that the wise men even recognized this or knew this. Um, and perhaps this was intended. Perhaps the Holy Spirit uh, you know, prompted them to do this. And there was some kind of uh, you know, prophetic symbolic value. But even if there isn't, we do see in Scripture there's connection with each of these three things to things, uh, to truths that we know about Jesus from other places in Scripture that are absolutely important. That is, we're thinking about Jesus this Christmas and we're thinking about who he is. There's three truths 
that are, are connected to the gold, frankincense, and mirth that, that we need to, to realize if we're going to celebrate Christ, Christmas in the right way, to celebrate it as, as Christians, those that worship and follow Jesus Christ. So the first that we see is, is the gold. And gold, at least we know what that is. You know, it's uh, later on, the frankincense and myrrh, what, you know, we're less familiar with that. Uh, but we know what gold is. That's, that's pretty easy. I don't have to explain it to you. The, uh, usually considered the most valuable, you know, metal throughout all history. And gold is often associated with royalty. I mean, kings, they have their crowns are made of gold. Uh, you have golden scepters. You have golden, you know, thrones. They try to have as much gold as they, they possibly could. And so when you think of the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh, it's been noted that this is something that really points to, to Jesus Christ as one that is, that is royal, that he is king. And remember the wise men, even when they came, they said they were looking for the, the, the king of the Jews. You know, they recognized that this is the one that was born, that was going to be king, that was going to sit on the throne of, of, of King David, that he was going to rule. And so for us, you know, do we recognize Jesus Christ as king? Is he just a little cute baby that was uh, born and placed in a manger? And uh, we like to think of him that way as a baby and keep him that way because a baby doesn't get all in your, in your business and tell you what to do. I mean, they tell you when to feed him. They tell you when to change him. Okay, but they don't uh, you know, give you commands as far as your, your lifestyle and uh, things that you need to repent of and all of this. Um, and sometimes people want to keep Jesus as just this baby in their mind. So they can think of him as cute and, and adorable and harmless. You know, somebody else's baby. You know, that they can just uh, adore from a distance. But we need to recognize that Jesus is more than that. That he is the, the king. He is the true. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And this Christmas, have you bent your knee to Jesus Christ as your king? As your Lord as your master. And if you haven't, and if you realize all the times that you should have and you haven't, has, does that convict you in your heart? To realize that he is the, the king, he is the maker of this world, he is, he is everything, and we have not treated him as we ought to. We've tried to make something else king and ruler. We've tried to make something else the, the ultimate that has our allegiance. And maybe it's some other uh, you know, a political leader, maybe it's some celebrity or some ideology, or maybe it's just yourself, and you are your own king sitting on your own throne doing your own thing. But Jesus Christ is the king, and we need to recognize that like the wise men did. Next we see the, the frankincense, and we have to clarify here, this is, a, this is not Frankenstein, just to, just to clarify, because if you had that in your mind, that would be really weird. You know, they gave him frankincense. That's no, that would frankincense. And uh, you know, what is this? We hear about it from Christmas. Uh, this is something that really points to his divinity. So frankincense uh, has the word incense right in it. Okay, so it has to do with incense. Both the frankincense and the myrrh were uh, two types of um, you know aromatic substance. Uh, frankincense. Uh, the English word frankincense literally means pure incense. The Old Testament word is that it's derived from uh, a root word meaning white because an incision was made in the bark of a certain tree that grew in South, southern Arabia or uh, eastern Africa and resulting in a, a fresh juice 
uh, with a white or milky color, and then um, it would contain that. It was very aromatic, very smelled very strongly. And so, you know, in those days, you didn't have um, just, you know, drugstores and supermarket where you get all this perfume and cologne and all these things. And this was very valuable substance. It was hard to acquire. It was a very valued. And so for them to bring this as a gift, you know, along with the gold was a very uh, huge gesture that they're doing to worship and, and adore this king and, and give something to them. But also frankincense, we think of uh, that or incense in Scripture um, whenever it occurs, it has to do with the service of God. That um, they would offer incense in burning coals that were taken from the altar and placed on the altar of incense. There was this golden altar that stood in the holy place immediately in front of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then the temple. And we have this fragrant smoke rising heavenward that was symbolic of the prayers and thanksgiving of the people and the priests. And so... Everywhere that uh, this occurs, it's connected to God. It's connected to him. So we look at this just the same way that gold is connected to to royalty. Frankincense, or this incense, is going to connect their minds to to divinity, to God. And this is something else that we need to realize as far as a truth about who this baby was. That he wasn't a mere human being. He was a human being. That's true. Uh, but this was the, the son of God, the one that was around since uh, before the creation of this world. In fact, who always existed along with the Father and the Holy Spirit as uh, part of the, the one God, the Trinity. This is God the Son that had come down and become incarnate, that he had taken on human flesh, taken on humanity, so he was now the God-man, fully God and fully human. And so he can be worshipped without an angel coming to stop him and saying, no, don't worship, this is a mere human being. He is a human being, but he's also the Lord. He is also God, and so it is right to worship him. And so when you think about Jesus, do you recognize that that he is God? Do you recognize this is the Lord that came down? This is the Lord that became a human being, and we celebrate his, his birth on Christmas. And the last we see here, we see myrrh which was another type of kind of gummy resin with this aromatic scent. Uh, Not quite as valuable as frankincense, but actually very valuable. And it was used for a lot of different things. And one of those things, it was used for uh, embalming. It would be used for those that had passed away. And so the myrrh here really connects with the death and burial of Jesus, which also connects then to his humanity. Because uh, if the Son of God had remained God alone and had not taken on a human nature. There's no way that, that God can die unless he has also taken upon himself a human nature. But Jesus Christ came not only to be born, but he came to die and to die for us. And when he did die, it records this in John 19, verses 38 through 40, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. 
So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So whether this is something that the wise men realized, and I think they probably didn't, but it could very well be that the Holy Spirit intended this uh, to happen in this way and prompted them. But no matter what we see in Scripture, each of these three things link to something very important about Jesus. Something we have to realize, that he is king, that he is Lord, and that he is the God-man, fully God and fully human, so that he could die and die for me, and to die for you. And that he had to be the God-man in order for his plan, God's plan, to work. It couldn't have just been uh, the Lord... Um, by himself not being a human. It couldn't have been a human that wasn't the Lord to come and be our Savior and to be our Redeemer. But it needed to be one that was fully God and fully human because he needed to be human in order to make a sacrifice in the place of humanity, in the place of other human beings. But if he was only one human, even if he was sinless, I mean, the most that you could save is maybe one other human. But because he's also God, that means that his death was of infinite worth, enough to cover and to pay for the sins of anyone and everyone that would come to him, repenting of their sins, recognizing him as Lord, and, and coming to him as their, their Savior, the one that came to be the substitute for sinners like me and like you. And so we think of God's greatest gift, and we talk about these three things, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, we need to realize that the, God's greatest gift was not one of the gifts given to God, given to God, to Jesus from the wise men. Instead, God's greatest gift was from God. It's not what we give to God. It's what God has given to us. We think about this in verses such as John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we've talked about these gifts that the wise men have given to, to Jesus. When we talk about God's greatest gift, it's the gift that he has given to us, to humanity, to me, to you. And the greatest gift of all is that he has given eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to look at one verse that talks about this and to unpack this. This greatest uh, gift. We'll look at Romans 6.23. You know, when we look at this, we're going to realize that this is a gift that is beyond any gift that, that we could give. Uh, you know, we try our best to give gifts, and maybe you've gotten your stuff, maybe it's wrapped, maybe you're in the process of it, uh, maybe you're still, you know, buying things or wrapping um, to the husbands here, you know, it's like you might be waiting until like, you know, Christmas Eve. I know how it goes. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, you know, we give gifts and we knock it out of the park and sometimes it's a swing and a miss. I spent some time looking back at pictures from previous Christmases, you know, and thinking of, you know, gifts that we gave to our kids. And there's some where it's like, okay, they're, they're still playing the, the Oculus, this video game. They're still doing this. And there's other things where, hey, they thought that, you know, uh, that the Voltron toy set was the greatest thing back in the day, and it's just been collecting dust and taking up space in my basement ever since. 
I looked at one uh, from just a year ago, and it was a video. I'm like, oh, what is this? And we had all the kids, they're lined up on the couch at Grandma and Grandpa's house, and it's a present that's a family present. And they open up, they're excited, and just kind of you see their, you know, their face kind of change going, oh, what's this? It was a game, you know, like a board game, nothing electronic in it. And it was, we gave them a ticket to ride. I don't know, some people, anyways, I realized, man, it's been a year. We've never even played that. So I've heard it's fun, but we've, we've never played it. So some gifts, you know, they're not as great as others. Uh, sometimes it's not what they want. Sometimes it's not what they need. You know, if you have a gift that somebody actually needs, that's going to be a greater gift than uh, something that's just, just a waste. And oftentimes they don't last. You know, there's some of you that are going to give your kids Christmas gifts and they're going to be broken before New Year. Okay, it's just, it's going to happen. And oftentimes they don't bring the lasting joy we think they would. Maybe if they play from a while, it's not like this life-changing thing forevermore that they've received this. They think it's going to be, but it, but it doesn't. But let's think about this gift that God gave us. And I want to focus on four ways that this really is the greatest gift. So Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great verse. Think of this. It's the free gift of God that's given from him to you and to me. And first I want to point out, this is the gift that we needed the most. If you think of there's all kinds of gifts, and many that they're just on the side you don't really need, uh, but when you have a gift that it's like, I really needed this, of all the gifts that you could be given that you needed, this was it. Because of the first part of that verse. And this is the wages of sin is death. And so if God had not given us this gift, we could just receive our wages instead. I mean, this verse really lets us know that there's a difference between a wage and a gift. A wage is what you deserve. It's what you got coming. So you go to work, you put in your time, and you do a good job, and at the end you get your uh, paycheck or your direct deposit, and it's the agreed-upon amount. It's what you earned. And it's not a gift. It's not a bonus. This is what you have coming to you. And for our jobs, it's a, it's a good thing. We like to see that money going into our account. But according to this verse, the wage that we have coming to us is death. Not a good thing. And notice, this is not even just physical death. This is spiritual death. And I know this because it is contrasted to eternal life. So this is eternal death. Death is always separation. When you die physically, your spirit or soul is separated from your body. Um, That's physical death. But spiritual death is you being separated from the God that made you. And we come into this world spiritually dead. Because we come into this world as sinners with the consequences of our first father Adam's sin. You know, and then as soon as we're able to, with our sinful hearts, we are adding to that with our own sin. And so we are separated from the life of God. We are separated from him. And if you were to die in this state, you would remain separated from God forever. That means not going to heaven. That means going to the other place. This is a terrible, terrible thing. And that's why I'm glad that there is the word but there. That there is the other side to this. 
that there is an option that you can take besides just, God, give me what I have coming. Give me what I deserve. I want that. No, you don't. Because the wages of sin is death. But it says the free gift of God is this other thing, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is, this is your biggest need. I mean, if you think you have other needs, you know, okay, you, you probably have other things. You have to put food on the table. Uh, there might be repairs to the home. There might be health issues that you have. There might be a, a relationship thing. Okay, but your biggest need, whether you realize it or not, is have your relationship repaired with the Lord God who made you. To have your status changed before you go and answer to him as, as the judge of all mankind. For him to pronounce the verdict on you for all eternity. That is your biggest need. And so Jesus came to answer that need. And him being king, him being the God-man, was able to answer this in a way that nobody else could. So it's the gift that we need the most. It's the gift that lasts the longest. Notice it says this is eternal life. This isn't that he came to give you something that will make you happy for an afternoon on Christmas. And then you'll get put in a closet and you'll never think about it again. You At your home, if you, have, if you have kids, there are places that you have stored gifts that they played with for a day or maybe a week or maybe longer and they don't play with anymore. The things that are broken, things that didn't last, or it was great when they were a kid. This is eternal This eternal life is something that starts the moment that you receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, as your Savior. You don't even have to wait until you die. It starts the instant that you trust Jesus Christ, but it goes on forever and ever. Through the rest of this life, it's never going to be taken away from you. And it goes into the afterlife and and on again. So in a hundred years from now, this is a gift that you will still have and that you will appreciate even more than you appreciate it now. This is a gift that in a thousand years you will still have and you will appreciate it even more in a thousand years. This is a gift that in a hundred thousand years, in a million years, for eternity, this is a gift that will last and you will value. And I think you will appreciate it even more and more and more and more forever. There's no other gift like this. But this is the gift that God came to give us. And notice it's a, it is a free gift. It's the opposite of works. It's the opposite of wages, what we deserve. This gift that is given to us that, well, it was free to us, a gift to us, but it cost the most. It is the gift that costs the most. To us, it is a gift. We receive it freely. That's something we have to realize, that salvation, eternal life, is not something that you earn at all. If it was, it would be another wage. It would be something that could be received by works, by you trying harder, do better, do good things. But it's not. It's an absolutely free gift. So it's not something that you need to work for. In fact, you can't work for it. If you try to earn this, you're insulting God because he has paid the price and he has paid the price in full. And the price was a lot, okay? This Jesus that was born, that we think of as this this baby in Bethlehem, he was going to grow up, and after living a perfect life, which none of us have, we've all sinned, and it's not just the sins that we do, it's also the, the good things that we should have done that we don't do, but Jesus did none of that. He was both innocent, he never sinned, 
Scripture says. And he wouldn't because he was God. And he also did everything he was supposed to do. He fulfilled all righteousness. So he did all this and he grew up and he went through this. And then at the right time, he was given by God to be put to death on a cross. In the most shameful, the most horrible way that they had devised. And not just the, don't just think of the human aspect of it. The fact that there was the pain of being nailed to the cross and the crown of thorns and all of that after being flogged and whipped. But he was bearing upon himself the wrath of God for us, for sinners. To take away the penalty for us, for all who would be willing to believe and come to him. And so I think there was this invisible uh, thing that was happening while he was on the cross. I almost think of it like God's lightning coming down, striking him instead of us, instead of anyone that will stand beneath him, that he becomes our, kind of our lightning rod, absorbing that on our behalf. This free gift, it's free to us, but think of how much it cost him. It cost him the death of the innocent Son of God. And then finally, it is a gift that will bring you the most joy. It is the gift that is going to increase in joy, but also the most joy. Because this is not just, okay, you get out of hell and you don't have to go there. This is not just, okay, you get to have this, this new life and a new perspective on things. The ultimate gift is God himself. And that you are being reconnected to the Lord God who made you, who is the, the source of true joy and happiness and fulfillment forevermore. And notice, this is found, this eternal life is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you remain outside of Jesus, it doesn't apply to you. And so I want everyone that's listening to hear this. You are either in Christ Jesus or you are outside of Christ Jesus. And we start this life outside of Christ Jesus and there's no ceremony that we can do that is going to put you in Christ Jesus. Okay, whether we fill up the tank here and we baptize you or whether I decide to just, you know, start, you know, squirt gun baptizing everyone here, that's not what gets you in Christ. You deciding to do a bunch of good works, that's not what gets you to be in Christ. There's no human thing that we can do. The only way to be in Christ, Scripture says, is through faith alone. Through trusting him as your Lord and Savior. So that's where you recognize that I'm outside of Christ and this is terrible. I am in rebellion to the Lord God who made me and this is a bad thing. And you turn to him and you accept Jesus Christ as your substitute, recognizing that he is king, that he is the God-man that came to die in your place as your substitute. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you have never trusted in him, honestly, from your heart, I pray that you would do that even before you leave. Because it's one thing to have been given a gift, but it's another thing to, you got to receive that gift. If there's a great gift that has been given to you, uh, but it, it came in, in the mail and you, you lost that um, the, the card that it came in, well, you didn't actually get it. If it's under the tree and it's wrapped up and it's really nice and it has your name in really big letters, but you leave it there and you don't actually take it and open it, then it doesn't do you any good. You don't actually have it. But Jesus Christ came and did everything that he did to give you this gift. 
You need to believe God. Believe him in his word and open this. Just take it. He will help you to do this and to receive him, the Lord, as your savior, as your substitute. And when you do, then you are found in Christ, connected to him, reconnected to God through Jesus Christ. And again, it's not just going to heaven and not going to hell, but it's being with him. God is the gift. He is the gift himself. Eternal life is found in him, and eternal life is him. So don't leave that gift just wrapped and just sitting there under the tree. Receive Jesus Christ, God's greatest gift, and remember, the giver gets the glory. And God has given us, has given to you, the greatest gift imaginable. So receive it and give Jesus Christ glory this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you, Father, and we thank you that you have given us the greatest gift possible. You've given us your Son, God the Son, the King, not just of the Jews and the world, but of the universe, who is willing to come down and to become the God-man, fully God and fully man for us, living a perfect life and giving himself in our place on the cross. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he willingly did this for us. We thank you as well that he is risen, that death did not keep him down, that he is risen and ascended, and we look forward to his second coming. As we celebrate Christmas this year, also fill our hearts with hope that he will come again and he will reign as Lord and King of this earth and bring justice and hope and and resurrection with him, Lord God. And I pray that everyone that is in this room, that you would be at work in their hearts, that anyone that has not yet opened this gift and received Jesus Christ and salvation from their sins, that you would draw them to you now, that they would be convicted of their sin and turn to you as the only hope that they have for forgiveness from their sin, Lord God. Help them to drop any excuse and just throw themselves at the feet of Jesus, trusting that he loved them so much that he died on the cross in their place, doing everything needed for their salvation, and that it is only an absolute free gift to them just to be received. And Lord, for all of us that have received this gift, help us to treasure it. May we treasure it above anything else we may receive this Christmas or any other Christmas, Lord. You have given us the greatest gift imaginable. To the giver goes the glory. And we give you thanks and glory and worship from our hearts. You deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.